Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today, I talk with Taryn Murphy, a high school junior. Taryn recently held a TED Talk regarding the misconceptions around Gen Z. We chat about that experience and so much more. We talk about what she believes are the unique attributes of Gen Z, uh, the pressures of needing to excel, and how she has pursued what she's passionate about instead of succumbing to the norms. And she has a unique perspective on having to start over due to moving at a a pivotal time in her development. Enjoy this episode. Taryn, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been an interview in the making for a long time. Your mom and I know each other from way back when, when we were both in college. And so when I started the podcast, I think she was one of the first people that reached out and was supportive and said that, you know, at some point it would be great if you and I could connect because she thought, you know, that you would have a good insight and some interesting info to share in terms of your own experiences. And then with the pandemic and lots of other things, it's sort of taken us a while to get here. So thank you for being on. I'm glad to have you as part of the Relatable community. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me come on and share my experience. I feel like it was definitely just a really great way for me to be able to talk more about not only like my experiences, but also maybe help some other people who also have ideas. And definitely, you know, I feel like COVID and stuff, it's been such like a crazy journey. And I'm just so thankful that I get to be here to talk more about experiences. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Maybe let's start with what you're doing now. What grade are you in? Tell me a little bit about, you know, how this year has been given hope. I don't know if you've been back in classes or in person. Just tell me a little bit about what's happening for you right now. Yeah. So I'm currently a junior in high school, which has a reputation for being like the worst year in high school. So we are currently fully in person. Last year, we had more of like a hybrid method. We had two cohorts and people would come into school and then other people would be online, which was definitely an interesting experience because, you know, you'd be in class and half of your classmates were like on a computer, like on the screen. So I feel like it definitely took a little bit of getting used to, but we're all back in person, which is good. And as for junior year being the most difficult year, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Like reputation. I think probably I have the most schoolwork that I've ever had in high school And I definitely agree that because of COVID and, you know, having to adjust to normal school again, it was a bit difficult. A little tough. Tell me a little bit about, in addition to the academics, what kind of activities are you engaged in? Or do you do sports or is there anything else that you're into? So I do a couple of things through my school. I do debate, Mm -hmm. which I do kind of, I think that's probably my main activity. You know, I've been participating in it for kind of a while I just had a tournament this past weekend, and that's something that I'm definitely really interested in. Other than that, you know, I did mock trial for a little while, Mm -hmm. and I just have to, I don't know, I feel like I spent a lot of my time doing schoolwork itself, just, you know, because I have a lot of homework this year, but I did use to fencing, which I ended up quitting because of schoolwork, but mostly just anything to do with public speaking, you know, activism, I'm really into And we're going to talk more about that for sure. On the academics side, in terms of the work, are you someone who, does school come very easy to you? Or is it something that you have to work hard at in terms of, I was just actually talking to someone last night, someone about your age. She has a brother who seems to have photographic memory. 
And she's like, it's so frustrating because she, for her, it's not like that. Like she was saying she really has to put in a lot of time and effort. It's not something that comes super easy to her. So what about you? Like, where are you on that spectrum? You know, I wish I had a photographic memory. (laughs) Yeah. When I was younger, I'd say school was definitely a lot more difficult for me. And then in middle school, I moved to a school that was very challenging. And I had to work so hard, like just very like a lot to be able to get the scores that I wanted. And now in high school, I feel like because I had such a challenging middle school experience, it's been a bit easier. But definitely, I'm not the type of person where school just comes naturally to me, especially in certain subjects. You know, there are certain subjects that I feel like I do better at and I have to put like less effort into it. But in general, I feel like I do have to like work a lot, which is why I like have no free time to do anything else. (laughs) What have you found to be helpful as you've talked about some of these periods of time that were more difficult? What kinds of things have helped you be more successful? When it comes to grades, a lot of it just comes from your own perception of yourself. You know, if you go into a test being like, oh my God, I'm going to fail. Like everyone here is smarter than me. Everyone here studied more than me. It's just going to sort of have that overall like feeling. And I feel like overall, if you sort of go in with the perception like, oh, like I'm capable and I'm like, you know, deserving of getting a good grade because I worked really hard. That's something that helps a lot. Sort of just like the law of attraction. I don't know. Yeah. Mindset, right? um, Like some, like just how you even think about it going into it, right? That your perspective. Yeah. And I feel like the other thing is sort of distancing myself, like from my schoolwork and being like, okay, my grades are not the only thing that defines me, which I feel like is difficult because as a generation, I feel like school in general, it's very grade focused. Like it's like, okay, you get a good grade, then you forget everything. And then you relearn and then you memory dump and then it just keeps going. Right. So I think that definitely, you know, realizing that grades don't like they aren't everything and which can be hard sometimes. And then, you know, just trying your best. Yeah. That they don't define you. Right. It's not like you are your grades. It's so funny. We just talked to someone who was a good friend of mine. He's now the executive director for Teach for America in Washington state. We talked a lot about the education system and how it's flawed and how there's like only, you know, that system sort of celebrates a certain type of learner, right? In terms of how they can be successful. And so, and not all, not some places there's maybe more creativity. And I know there's charter schools and there's different types of schools now, and it's probably better today than it used to be, but I still think there's kind of one way that's celebrated. And if you're very good in this way, then you're successful, right? But if you maybe you struggle or you're challenged or, you know, that's not your strength, it's hard. It's harder to be competitive, I think, or to feel like, especially for people in high school, you know, where you're a lot's happening in those four years in terms of how you're developing and growing and being defined. So it's a lot. So I do want to talk about your thoughts on Generation Z, right? So that's kind of an area that you have a lot of passion. I have like a couple other questions first. When you mentioned debate, I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody that was really heavy in debate. So just tell me like what preparing for an event is like and then how they actually work. Because I, I really don't know anything about them. Yeah. So first I thought it was really interesting. This is, sorry, I'm sort of sidetracking, but I thought the Teach for America thing that you mentioned was really interesting because I feel like there isn't one type of learner in schools. And I feel like oftentimes people get caught up in like, if I don't get an A on this, then I won't be able to get into my dream college and live my dream life, which is just like not true at all. But I can like expand more upon that later. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
As for debate, I've been doing debate since I was in middle school. I've been like competing since I was in seventh grade. And the events definitely differ based on where you are and, you know, pandemic. So as of right now, all of our events are online. Mm. So that means that we sort of have this big database called Tabroom, which just has all of the information you need. And my debate partner, she's actually from Maryland, so I've never met her in person. And we competed last weekend at a very big tournament. So basically the way it works is you get an email saying your assignment, like, you know, what school you're going against, and then you prepare a little bit. You don't know what side you are. And then they have this thing called a coin flip. So you get an email saying, okay, you won the coin flip. You can choose what side you are, or they won the coin flip. They choose what side you have to be. And that was definitely very stressful experience because there's one side that we've been debating the entire time and we sort of hope that we get to stay there because we had the most preparation for it so we're like okay we better win this coin flip and we did which was good but overall it's just like a very big online sort of like database of like teams and so they give you scenarios and then you're representing a point of view right and then there's two other people that are also that that are representing the opposite point of view and you're going back and forth is that how it works and are you on you're on zoom while you're doing that or on some sort of virtual meeting yeah so i do public forum debate which is basically two person teams there's a first speaker and a second speaker on each team And usually the issue you get beforehand, I think it's monthly or like every other month at the beginning of the year, but they are usually based on current events. So ours was about Turkey being in NATO. And because of all the Russia-Ukraine conflict, a lot of the information that was coming out was very current. So in one of our rounds, someone actually brought something up that came out 20 minutes before the round that undermined like our entire point. So you had to be very caught up on current events. And I was like, I found myself refreshing like the news every two seconds to make sure that my case was still viable. And yeah, so it's basically just two people on each team and it is on Zoom. But you, I think it really depends on the tournament. Like we went through a website that, you know, had room assignments. We clicked on the room, then we were Mm -hmm. in the Zoom. That is so wild. So you definitely have to think on your feet. I, I like right. Like that's certainly something that I'm I'm guessing has become something that you're developing by being having done this for so long. That's not an easy thing to be thrown something like that. So you can't really prepare too much in advance, right? You, if it's current events and you know that you need to be caught up on that, but it, could it be anything, or are there like lanes that you can expect the question to be? Usually for a public forum debate, the topic is released in advance. So you kind of have an idea of main arguments that the other side may use. But I also do another type of speaking through my school called Extemp. And for that, you are given a random question the day of, and you have 30 minutes, I believe, to prepare a speech and memorize it. And then you give it in front of people. So that was definitely, it's definitely a lot more randomized than debate is. And what do you think prompted your interest in pursuing this kind of stuff? What is it that like you like about it or what is it that sort of created this interest? So I've always been really interested in public speaking, you know, in one way or another. When I was younger, I used to do acting a lot. Like I was in school plays and I, you know, had a few roles in like small films in like New York City and stuff. And once I, you know, moved, I kind of, I didn't really have time to continue that. And a major thing that stuck out to me about my new school was their debate team. And 
that was something that I joined and I found a really great sense of community there. And I sort of just continued it all throughout high school. Yeah, I feel like that was just definitely a really good way for me to learn a lot about events and Mm -hmm. grow my public speaking skills. Because I feel like in general, I'm kind of a shy person. But that has helped me gain confidence to be able to speak in front of an audience. And as for being interested in like the topics of debate, I feel like I've become very interested in, you know, the news and like politics and current events, just because I feel like it was exposed to me like at a very young age, you know, like on my way to school, my dad would always play NPR in the car and I just get to hear like the the radio and all the things that were going on. And that just sort of gave me an interest in wanting to know what was going on so I could be, you know, more informed about that. Excellent. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your recent talk about Gen Z. I, you you, know, you mentioned something about moving and I'd love to touch on that too, because I know that you, I think you're back in, in the Northeast now, right? But you were in Florida. Is that right for a bit? So I grew up in New Jersey and then when I was in fifth grade, I moved to California for three years and now I'm back in New Jersey. How was that move to, to have to move so you were in fifth grade and you were there from, you were in California from fifth to eighth. So how was that for you at that time, leaving friends, like a place where you had kind of grown up? How traumatic was that for you to go to a new, gosh, like completely different culture, I'm guessing, given that it was West Coast compared to Northeast? In all honesty, I feel like it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Like when my parents first told us we were moving, I was like, no way, I'm not doing this. And then I sort of grew used to it over time, you know, we flew over and we looked at our houses and I was like, yeah, I could vibe with this. Like yeah. I'm fine with this. And I was actually very excited to have just a new experience because I feel like I've known the same people since I was like three years old, been going to the same schools. Why not shake it up a little bit? We ended up moving and I thought it was definitely, the culture was very different, but you know, I think it was really great for me to be able to get different, you know, like, live in two very different places. I mm-hmm. feel like it definitely shaped me a lot as a person. But even when moving back to the East Coast, I feel like I brought some of that with me, which is good. And I, you know, I was able to make a lot of friends and stuff in my school. I'm actually going there in about a week or so to like, you know, say hi to everyone. Yeah. So I thought it was a, a great experience. Did you maintain some of your friendships back East? So like when you came home or are you, did you have to kind of start over? I mean, fifth to eighth is sort of a pivotal time, right? So then you're, did you actually, when you moved back here, did you start then as a freshman or did you spend eighth grade here back in the Northeast? So I started as a freshman and I feel like it was a bit difficult because all of my friends had gone on to, you know, our public middle school. They'd, you know, had experiences there Mm -hmm. and they're moving on to the high school, but I actually was going to a different school. So I feel like it was a bit difficult just because everyone got very busy to maintain those connections. But the good thing about my current school is that everyone going in mostly didn't know anyone because it was, it's just high school, like nine through 12. Mm -hmm. So I feel like everyone was sort of in the same boat. And like, even though I definitely didn't like really didn't know anyone, I knew at least that the people around me were open to meeting new people which I thought was really great. And now most of my friends, you know, they go to my school, which is really great. And yeah. yeah. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www 
www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. All right, so let's talk about your TED Talk and that experience and a little bit about Gen Z. So I'll ask you a couple of questions about it. I know in terms of the talk that you gave, you talk a bit about the misconceptions, that there's a perspective that people have around people your age or your generation that you're very tech dependent, right? And that you are tech dependent at the sort of exclusion of life (laughs) and other experiences, right? And I think your point of view is that it's misguided and that's not exactly quite right. So tell me what you would say, if I put the question this way, tell me what you would say in terms of how do we have it wrong? What is it that is a more accurate depiction of Gen Z, or at least from your research and what it is that you know about it? So I feel like I'd say that it definitely isn't fully wrong to say that Generation Z has become shaped by technology because that's definitely true. I feel like definitely, you know, the advent of social media and stuff has shaped the way that people think and how much time people spend on it and everything. But I feel like one of the main misconceptions is, you know, what people are doing with social media. So I feel like adults oftentimes sort of have an idea that like all teens do is go on Instagram and scroll for hours, which I know, you know, may be true sometimes, but a lot of times teens are using technology to become more informed, you know, look for volunteer opportunities. And I feel like just in general, social media has allowed people to become more informed about issues around them, which is definitely very important. You know, in my speech, I mentioned a bunch of activist movements that were being run by young people. And I think that is definitely, you know, in no small part, thanks to social media. So I think that definitely adults sort of have this misconception that teens like don't know anything about what's going on. But then when they do talk about what's going on, they're viewed as like, oh, like, you know, nothing. You're so young. So it's definitely very difficult Mm -hmm. to sort of like in between those two like drastic extremes. Yeah. And I think the other thing you talked about, which... You know, it's interesting. We we talked to a, a friend of ours who recently retired FBI, but we we're talking about how the pressure for you for people at your age, right, and the exposure to everything. You talked about this in your talk, which is there's so much information that you're you have access to that you all are distilling. And with that information, I think comes a lot of pressure, right? Or comes a lot of, you talked about the academic pressure of of sort of being perfect, but I think certainly there's like the social media pressure of like, you're just constantly being bombarded with like what perfect is or what ideal is. And I think that's something that we can't fully appreciate or understand, right? Those of us that didn't grow up that way. And, you know, we think of it in terms of like, the hardships, like my kids haven't had a lot of really difficult hardship in terms of like character building experiences in the way that I did. Right. But I think there's some of this that I can't quite relate to in terms of that kind of pressure that you guys are facing. So talk to me a little bit about that too. Like you, you did speak to that a bit and I think it would be helpful for people to hear your perspective on that in terms of, you know, how does it create more pressure for you or that you know, and maybe I don't know if I'm characterizing this exactly right, but this like need to be perfect or to be ideal or that there's, there's just a lot of pressure to do that. Going on to social media and current events and stuff, I feel like because information has become so accessible, there's this pressure to 
know everything about everything that's going on. And like, if you don't, or if, you know, it's something that you haven't seen yet, people are like, oh, you have so much information. Why don't you know anything? Like you have social media, you can just look there. And I think that's definitely very harmful because, you know, a lot of the events going on in the real world are just very emotionally taxing. So if you scroll through social media all day, you know, looking at the news and it's just depressing, then I feel like that's something that like, I don't know, I feel like, you know, people also people, it's very important to be informed, but I feel like people also should take some time to step back and just relax, you know, a little bit. And as for, you know, being perfect, I feel like social media, Instagram and stuff, like people definitely only post the parts of their lives that they want people to see, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that, you know, posting what you want online. Like it's not all bad, right? Like there's some positive for people to post like the nastiness of life, right? There isn't as much of an attraction or interest to to see that, right? So everybody's kind of putting out their their best day, right? Or their best achievement. You're not seeing a lot of sort of the the ruggedness or realness of life experiences, right? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like sort of it gets dangerous though when you shape someone's identity based off of what they post on social media. Mm-hmm. So you know, if someone is on Instagram and they post a bunch of perfect photos about like so much stuff they're doing and you look at that and they're like, this person has such, and you're just like, this person has such a great life. You know, my life sucks. They're having fun, hanging out with friends every single day. I feel like that's definitely not true because everyone has their own challenges and experiences. So I feel like separating people's social media identities, like realize that, okay, this person is posting, you know, the best parts of their life and realizing that, okay, just because this person did this and this, that doesn't define me as a person because I have my own strengths and, you know, things like that. Just realizing that someone's social media profile is not their entire identity. Yeah. And what do you think, I know when you talked in your speech a bit about what is it that you think in terms of the access to technology, I guess the idea that you talked a bit about in in terms of your opening, like sense of humor or that, you know, we are maybe missing the mark that you actually as a generation have kind of an ironic and, and almost like an educated sense of humor because of your access to to information. So talk to me a little bit about that, just in terms of, again, like what what maybe we we may be missing or not quite clear on in terms of your generation. So I feel like Generation Z in general, like we've been exposed to a lot in relation to current events, in relation to terrible things, you know, going on constantly. And I feel like, you know, having a sense of humor, Generation Z humor, a lot of it is just like, completely meaningless. Like if someone else were to look at it, they would be like, what is this? (laughs) But I feel like to Generation Z, because we have faced so much with just everything that's going on, especially within the past few years because of the pandemic, you know, being able to look at something completely disconnected from reality that just means absolutely nothing is just funny. What, so remind me what the, what is the age range for Gen Z? But do you, you remember what the, at least what the birth years are or what the age range is? I don't know if this is right, but I'd like to say it is 1995 to 2010. I can, I can like, somewhere in there. So it's interesting. Like, thank you. I think 1997, 2000. Is that that for Missy? Yeah. (laughs) What is it? 1997? 
2012. 2012. Wow. So yeah. I think another thing you comment on, right? Each generation has its theme, right? Or has its way of being represented. And certainly none of us are all one thing, right? We're not all, you know, whatever the characterization is of that time. But I think I think the things that I find interesting about your experience is that one, that the access to information. So I do think you all have more opportunity to be connected to what's happening, but also I think, which we've talked a bit about is your public speaking and your activism and your interest around change. So I, I feel like that is so much more common with people at your age than, than maybe my peers were when we were your age. I certainly see it in organizations and companies where I do consulting, where the people that are kind of mid twenties, early thirties, like they also are looking for an organization that is committed to some sort of civic support or civic duty or social change. So would you agree that's not, again, not everybody, but a lot of the people that you know, or people that are more in that age range are also, because of that access to information, there's more interest to affect change or do things. Yeah, I would definitely 100% agree with that. I feel like if I were to look at a pool of every single teen in the US, you know, I don't know everyone, so right. I couldn't say for sure that, but I know in my own personal life, definitely. And I feel like that's just because of the spaces that I've, like, and the people that I've chosen to surround myself with. Like, another thing I do in my school is JSA, which stands for Junior State of America. And it's like a nonpartisan civic engagement organization that's focused on getting youth involved in the world around them and politics. And I feel like just being a part of that. And even we had a conference recently about activism in the digital age. So I think that's just something that is very prevalent and on the minds of people who, you know, are interested in politics and current events and even people who aren't. So I think it, you know, I can't say this, that it applies to everyone, but yeah. definitely in my personal life, yes. I think it's so great. You know, one of the things that I didn't realize, and, and you're an example of this, like, I think at any age, if you, I mean, obviously, like... <laughs> maybe ninth and up, right? Not any age. But if you do have a passion or an interest and there's something that I, I would think like activism or political conversation or current events, right? A, a lot, most people would think like that's an adult topic, right? And the fact that you're dialed into that so early and that's something that interests you, I, I love it. And I think it gives you probably a perspective earlier than a lot of people do. So I think cultivating that, knowing that you're interested in it and then pursuing it is such a, it's such a great thing. And to know that so early, that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel like in general, it's very difficult because, you know, young people have so much to say about issues that they're passionate about. But I feel like oftentimes adults can sort of dismiss them just because they are younger. They'll be like, okay, you are a young person. You have no experience. What you're saying is completely invalid, which is not true because I feel like oftentimes young people can be just as educated about certain events, even more so sometimes than adults can. You know, obviously they don't have as much life experience, but I feel like that doesn't, that isn't necessarily yeah. definitive right. of one's level of knowledge in a certain do you have a lot of debate at the dinner table with, um, with your family? Like, do you guys have a lot of lively discussions? 
I personally am not a very confrontational person. Yeah. So I try not to bring that kind of stuff up, but definitely it's something that I talk about with my friends and, you know, my parents and even, you know, summer programs I've attended, like that were about politics. I've talked about that too. Yeah. Tell me just a little bit about the prepping and the planning for the TED Talk. So before we started uh, recording this, you mentioned that was, what did you say, three years in the making in part due to pandemic. But tell me about the preparation and, you know, pulling your speech together. And then I would love to talk too about just the act of giving that in the, the public speaking component. I mean, that's very nerve wracking. So just tell me about how you prepared for it and then, did you have any speeches leading up to it? Uh, and then about that day, you know, and what that was like. So when I was in eighth grade, we were actually doing school speeches. And, you know, we had a unit where we wrote speeches about anything that we wanted. We gave them to the class and they choose the top three or so speeches by vote to perform it to the school. And I remember before we were doing the assignment, my teacher showed us videos of TED Talks because she was like, you know, this will help you guys with your speech. And I went home and I watched them and I was like, I want to do that. Nice. So I looked online. There were no resources to be able to get started with that type of thing. So I just, I emailed the first person online that I saw with an event in New York City the summer that I would be moving. And he actually emailed back, which was crazy because I was not expecting that. And then he was in correspondence with my mom over email for a while. I was originally supposed to speak in New York. That event didn't happen. And then, you know, there's this huge gap where nothing really happened. I'd written my speech in eighth grade and I was like, oh, you know, this probably isn't going to happen. I was kind of upset about it. Continued life, so on. And then my mom gets an email and she's like, hey, this event just opened up. You know, they don't have a speaker for this space. Do you want to speak there? And I was like, Yes. So I went to my speech and I realized this was about two years later that it was something that I wrote in eighth grade and now we were in a pandemic and it entirely changed. So I feel like that made it a bit difficult because I had to rewrite everything, but also I needed to take a hard look at the content that I was putting into it in the first place. Like, I feel like I had the same main themes in my original speech, but now that everything, you know, the pandemic and yeah. teens are becoming more aware about current events. I, you know, had more content to add to it. And I thought that was really cool. As for actually preparing for the speech, I practiced it in my room a couple times. And then I kind of forgot about it, which is not good. But um, <laughs> yeah, around a month or so, I was like, okay, I really need to do this. I'm speaking in a month. So I started practicing more and more. And when I actually got there to give the speech, I still had my note cards just in case I like forgot anything. And I was planning on like walking around the stage, but the microphone at the venue, they lowered it for everyone, but they forgot to lower it for me. So I was kind of stuck um. in the one space, like reaching up to where the mic was, which definitely, I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny, but... You know, other than that was just the overall like preparing process. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information.
do you, what is it like for you when you speak in front of people? Like I know you said you enjoy it and it's something that you've pursued. What if, what would you say to other students or people that get really nervous, right? Or that have to talk or anytime you're doing public speaking or have to present, what are some of the things that help you be less nervous? So I feel like definitely just a lot of practice and, you know, I, when I'm speaking, I sort of just tend to think that I'm like, I don't really think about the perception of the people in the audience and you know, what they're thinking about what I'm saying, because that is definitely very nerve wracking. You know, if while I'm speaking, I'm like, oh my God, what if everyone here thinks I'm terrible? That is not a healthy mindset to have while you're speaking, just be like, okay, I'm talking and then when I'm done, it'll be over and I can go relax. But I feel like just that amount of practice has made it a bit easier for me to talk in front of others. And I think it's a lot of people, they're like, okay, I can talk to small groups of people, but I can't speak in public. I feel like I'm kind of the opposite. Like I can give a speech in front of a bunch of people, but I'm terrified of meeting new people, even though it's in like a small group of people. So I think it definitely just depends on who you are as a person and finding things that work well for you. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I do a lot, I talk a lot about public speaking and we do workshops and lots of things in that space. And I have a very good friend who is terrified of of talking in front of large groups. And once I told her, I said, you know, if you think of yourself as like a vessel of information (laughs) and it's not really about you, right? To your point around, like it's, yes, people will react to the person that's up there. You're going to have some people sort of looking at you and sort of assessing you. But really, if you're good at imparting the information, right? And you present it in a way that's interesting and dynamic or that the content, then that's what hooks people, right? And so if you think of it more like you're a vessel, just imparting information versus like, it's about you personally, that can help too, that mindset that shift really helps. What is it? Let me just ask you a follow-up. So what is it about meeting and being in smaller groups that makes you nervous? Tell me a little bit about that. I honestly don't know. I feel like I'm definitely a very introverted person until I'm around people that I know very well. Yeah. Like with my friends, I am definitely not an introvert, but I feel like meeting new people and definitely thinking about, you know, what their perception of me is. And I feel like that's just definitely very common in Generation Z is difficult, but I feel like over time I've sort of grown to think like, okay, I might as well just be myself, do what I want to do. And then the right people will come to me naturally because of that. And I think the whole vessel thing that you brought up was really interesting. And that's definitely something I will use in the future because I never thought of it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think too, one of the things you said, you've said this now twice, which I think is really powerful, which is the people you surround yourself with, right? So you're someone who has specific interests and passions, right? So you've talked a lot about the debate forums that you're part of, that you talked about the expat stuff with the public speaking, right? And then, so finding people that have similar interests or that you have a connection, right? Through those activities and finding kind of surrounding yourself with people that you are comfortable with or that you do identify and connect with. That's such an important part of it, especially for people that are, and there's a lot, right? There's a lot of people that struggle to feel really confident when they have to meet new people or when they're in small groups. So I think, you know, you tell me, but it seems like 
when you find those connections or you find experiences where you can connect, that makes that process so much easier. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like finding people that share the same interests as you is very important. But also, I think on the other end, it's really great to surround yourself (laughs) with people who don't have the same viewpoints or experiences or interests as you because it helps, you know, it helps you diversify your perspective. And I feel like moving has definitely helped me a lot with that because I grew up in the same town, you know, surrounded by the same people for 11 years. And then I moved and I had to meet completely new people who probably did not have similar experiences. And that was really great because I got to diversify not only like my perspective, but also change a lot as a person and become more open to meeting people like, you know, new people from different places. And I feel like that's just been something that's really great. That's helped me a lot. Even, you know, with my other experiences in life, like studying abroad, and it's just been really great. So I think definitely both ends are very important, finding people that have the same interests as you, but also finding people who might be different from you. Do you think, given your experience of moving and kind of that, that forced probably you to face some fears and to push yourself outside of that comfort zone, right? Tell me a little bit about your mindset around fear and how you kind of push through it or handle it, right? Because I think, look, at any age, we all have fears and you can either say, yeah, I'm going to push through and get to the other side of this and see what happens. Or you can be debilitated by them or or say, you know what, I'm just not going to pursue it because it's just too scary. So tell me whether, you know, for you, how do you handle that? Are you someone that kind of, I mean, this is a bold thing to have this conversation, right? Putting yourself out there. You obviously put yourself out there with some of the public speaking that you're doing. A debate forum, I can imagine, is pretty stressful. So how do you like, are you someone who naturally is like, yeah, bring it like you, the challenge, or is that something you've cultivated over time? I feel like it's definitely something that has come over time. And yeah. the other thing is just telling myself like, okay, no matter what happens, you know, things will work out. And, you know, just considering that, okay, like, if this happened, like, you know, it, like, hopefully things will work out, you know, for the better, like, you know, moving, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna miss all of my friends. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my new school. Right. And then things ended up working out, you know, perfectly, I was able to meet some amazing friends, I had a great experience living there. So I feel like just sort of realizing, you know, in my case, personally, I can't speak for everyone else, because they're definitely people who've gone through much larger challenges than me. But just saying, you know, I'm in this new situation, I'm going to do the best I can with it and see what happens. I think that's awesome. Tell me a little bit. One of the things that I like to ask people your age is whether, you know, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, as parents, we think we know what we're doing. (laughs) We don't always know what we're doing. You know, we maybe push too hard when we should Uh, back off. We maybe should push harder when we're backing off, right? Like that sort of delicate balance of inserting ourselves in your life, particularly like I think at the high school time, right where you are now. You alluded to this a little bit, but I am curious about kind of academic and, and social pressure, right? And what that feels like to you right now. But tell me from a parent perspective or like coaches or mentors or, you know, what are some of the things that you appreciate or that when done well, that's like, yeah, that's really helpful, (laughs) right? Versus like, yeah, maybe that wasn't actually so helpful. 
Because I think, you know, we can learn too. And a lot of parents listen to this podcast. So I think it could be Uh great counsel. Yeah. Okay. So I think definitely a major thing for a lot of people in Generation Z is academic pressure. And, you know, obviously, as many of us are in high school right now thinking about applying to college, that pressure is already very inflicted upon us by school. And, you know, going home and having, this hasn't been my situation personally, but I know a lot of people whose parents are very, like, they pressure them a lot about their grades. And, you know, maybe if they are struggling in a class, that makes them feel really bad. You know, this hasn't been my situation personally, but I feel like for parents, you know, they need to realize that if your child, you know, if they try their best in a class, like getting bad grades isn't always due to laziness. You know, there may be, they may be struggling with the class. There may be something else going on. So I feel like just realizing that. And additionally, the other thing with current events is realizing that teens, like their perspectives on current events should not be like belittled or ignored just because of their age. I feel like they deserve a spot at the table just as much as any adult does, because oftentimes teens do know a lot about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And what would you say, like in terms of your own experience, what are some of the things that your parents have done well that have helped you feel supported or helped you feel, you know, that's worked well for you? Yeah. So you met my mom uh, or you saw her because you knew her before at the beginning of this. I feel like she's been very helpful, especially in like dealing with stress and stuff. Like, you know, even if it's just small things, like she'll take me out for like ice cream and stuff, like after a test, I feel like things like that are definitely very helpful in dealing with stress and things like that. And I feel like my parents have been really great in general about not putting too much pressure on me for my grades and, you know, performing well in debate and all the other things that I do. I feel like most of that is self-inflicted. That's so funny. You said that was exactly, that was my next question because I have a senior right now. So I have a, a son that's just very close to your age. And it's so interesting because I wonder how much of the pressure is self-inflicted and peer inflicted, right? Like it depends on, you know, we live in a, it's probably similarly situated area where it's, there's a lot of competition, but not, it's such an interesting dynamic. I don't know that the kids are competing wanting to compete with one another. It's more like we're a densely populated area that has a lot of opportunity. And so there's already this like idea, well, if I'm going to do well, or if I want to go to the school that I want or whatever, you know, insert whatever the thing is that you want, there's just a lot of people already doing that very well. And so that becomes the pressure to kind of keep up or the pressure to versus like, yeah, is it not necessarily parent induced or even peer induced in the way the movies show it, right? Where it's, there's the bullies or there's the different groups. It's almost just like situational maybe, or where do you think the, the, like the self-inflicted stuff comes from? Yeah, I completely agree that it is definitely situational. I've lived in two very, as we were saying before, academically competitive areas. I lived in the Bay area, which is just, Mm known for being very academically pressuring. I think I I know people who are going through like the college process there and it's like insane because everyone there is just great at everything. And even in New Jersey, just because of, you know, it's densely populated, it's proximity to New York, it's insanely competitive because everyone is just trying to do everything to get into the school they want. And I feel like that is not necessarily a very healthy mindset. I used to have that mindset when I was a freshman. I was like, 
okay, I'm going to sign up for 10 clubs. going to take all honors. Let's do this. And then in the middle of the year, I was like, okay, but I don't want to do any of this. So I might as well focus on, you know, the three things that I'm really interested in and try and do well in that for myself. And then college and awards and grades will just come naturally from that. So I feel like doing things just because you want to get into college or just because you want to get a good grade will not help you because college, like the college application process is very random. And, you know, even if you don't get into a school you want to get into, you'll at least have those experiences that are very valuable to you. Yes, I totally agree. It's such an important thing to know the things that you like to do and to pursue those things, that intersection of liking something and then being good at that thing, right? So for you, like you found this lane that you really enjoy and those experiences are so important and they will shape kind of what you do going forward. And the the thing with this college piece is that if you want to go to college, there are colleges for pretty much anyone, right? So there's like the 1% that everyone seems to be (laughs) focused on. And then there's so many other options where you can have a great education and have a great experience. And so not being so narrow, you know, I don't know where it is, like what it's like for you up in the Northeast, but here in the DC area and in Virginia in particularly, there's like a handful of schools. It's like, if those aren't, if those aren't the schools, then you're like a zero, right? It's like, there's like a cliff almost. And it's just not the case, right? There's, there's a place for everybody. And it's what, it's the experience that you make of it. And it's hard when everything around you is sort of telling you a different narrative. And then the other thing is it's only four years of a whole lifetime, right? So there's a lot that like, you get perspective, but it's hard when you're in it. Totally. What about social pressure? What would you say about that? Do you feel, I mean, you're a junior now, so you, maybe you've been through some of this stuff, but if you're thinking about, you know, maybe kids that are just starting out in high school, like how have you handled social pressure? I feel like social pressure is something just because of my school and my friends. It's something that I haven't necessarily had to deal with as much as other people may have. And I feel very lucky about that. But a lot of the pressure socially that I feel in my extracurriculars and my school activities, you know, in debate and stuff is that many of them are very male dominated. And, you know, there have been situations where I'm like the only girl in a room. And that has been difficult because I feel like oftentimes people discount the perspectives of me because I'm young, but also because I am a girl. And I feel like, you know, that's definitely even worse for people from other traditionally marginalized groups. And there's a lot of pressure in that situation, you know, especially in debate and stuff, because, you know, if you speak well, or you're confident, you know, you're perceived as being aggressive, you know, and Mm -hmm. I feel like there's sort of that pressure to, you know, be a certain way. How have you worked through that? Like, how do you manage that? So I feel like it's something that definitely has come with time. And, you know, in debate, especially being able to assert myself. And, you know, if someone cuts you off, starts being condescending towards you, just be like, hey, I'm speaking, can I finish talking? And maintaining your cool, because, you know, at the end, you'll look like the more mature person. And I feel like that's really important, because, you know, people may be very condescending to you, like in round and stuff. But, you know, being able to sort of rise above that and be more mature just is very, you know, it's very important. Do you find too that if you, because that, that forum in particular, 
it's almost like your ability to perform well. It's almost like competing, right? You're competing like an athlete competes in that sense, right? Like you've prepared, you've done the work, you know, the content. So your ability to deliver on that starts to speak for itself. So if someone's behavior is distracting, it's like, ultimately, you know, you're going to perform well and that will shut them up essentially. (laughs) Do you find that to be true? Yeah, I feel like for me, that has been true. I know for a lot of people, you know, I've heard online that since judging and debate is very subjective, you know, some people have gotten Mm. stuck with some very unfair judges, you know, girls have gotten points off because the judge didn't like what they were wearing. And that has, Uh, no, I feel like that has nothing to do with the content of their speech or the way that they talk. And I think that's definitely something that, you know, many active, not activist areas, but many public speaking activities such as debate can definitely improve on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Well, gosh, I can't believe we're sort of at our time, but I guess the last thing I would ask you, and thank you again so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. I would say, you know, as you think about your own journey and you've talked, maybe touched on this a a little bit throughout our discussion, but what would you, what counsel or advice, you know, if you think about your own challenges and struggles, what advice would you give to like a young Taryn, right? So I know you're still sort of, you're still developing, you're still adulting, but you know, you've said this several times throughout this conversation, right? That, that you can, you have opinions and thoughts and experiences too, that sort of are valid. So when you think about, you know, maybe that fifth grader or the sixth grader or the seventh grader even, right? What advice would you give her that do you think would be helpful to make her path a little bit easier or a little bit more enjoyable, right? What are some of the things that you've learned along the way so far? Yeah, definitely. So I would probably tell her to pursue what she is interested in. Don't just do things to get a good grade or to get into a school that you want to go to. Do things because you want to learn more about something or because you're interested in it and, you know, genuinely pursue topics that you are interested in. And the other thing I would tell myself is probably to calm down because I feel like I tend to get very stressed out, but I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back, realize that this is only part of my life and that high school is not definitive of your entire life experience. So I think those are just two things that I would tell myself. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Taryn. This is, like I said, it's been just just a pleasure to chat with you and I appreciate your perspective and your openness and really, you know, all the things that you've talked about, I think it gives us some good things to think about in terms of how we relate to people in Gen Z, but also just what the experience is like. And so maybe for those of us that have kids, your age and kind of in this space will help us be a little bit more thoughtful and kind of come at it from a different perspective. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you for having me on this discussion. It was so great to be able to share my perspective. And, you know, I hope everyone listening enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Taryn, thank you so much for your time and for being so candid and open with me. I really enjoyed our conversation and your unique perspective of Gen Z, especially hearing about the unique sense of humor. I love your advice to follow your interests instead of pursuing a grade or an accolade and what you said about high school not defining you. We tell our teens all the time, high school and college are a brief portion of your life. While it can seem like everything in the moment, it is only a brief period of time. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode, and thank you to our Relatable community for listening to these discussions. If you get a moment, please subscribe and rate Relatable. 
We can be found on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and the TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.